morning, everyone. Facebook Live, we're so glad that you guys are joining us today. Yes, there's only four people in the room. Matt Duransky, myself, my son Giuseppe, and we got Carlos on the audio and watching, making sure that we're all together here. We are fully vaccinated. We are fully antibody. We're all gathered together excited. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm excited just to be in this room so we can bring honor and glory to God through his word. And so today, we're just excited about it. I don't know, maybe it's not so much for me to be excited, but I'm always excited, but I'm especially excited when, when we can come together and gather together. So please hang on for just a little bit as we work through this together. So I have a quick little story because we're going, we're going through uh, the book of Daniel. We have a series entitled Grit, God Honoring, Resolved in the Heart intentionality, and tenacity. And so we're not talking specifically about those words, but we're going to allude to those words, but also make sure we understand that we are here together for a purpose, uh, to recognize that in the book of Daniel, through Daniel, through the Hebrew boys, and now even today we're going to work through Nebuchadnezzar. Yes, the king whom God has allowed to be restored in his life. We're going to talk through it really quick. So today we're going to highlight some important words and some important characteristics that we want to work through. Um, one of these particular stories uh, that I wanted to, to share with you um, was there was a, I've never heard of this boxer before, but a former heavyweight boxer, James Quick Tillis, maybe some of you have heard that, is a cowboy from Oklahoma who fought out uh, of Chicago in the early 1980s. He still remembers his first day in the Windy City as his arrival from Tulsa. He said, I got off the bus with two cardboard suitcases under my arms in downtown Chicago and stopped in front of the Sears Tower. I put my suitcases down, I looked up at the tower, and I said to myself, I'm going to conquer Chicago. And then he said, I, when I looked down, my suitcases were gone. I mean, it was like he just thought, wow. I mean, he just looks down, just a quick look. Goes looking up, he's all excited, proud, and then he looks down and his suitcases are gone. Isn't that something like pride? We think we can do so much. We're excited about what's in front of us. We believe we can conquer anything until just one little glitch, one thing that humbles us to realize we forgot about one little important thing and it can throw us off. And that seems to happen often in our lives because pride can be an actually good thing. We can be proud of our children. We can be proud of our wives or our husbands. We can be proud about where God has allowed us to live. We can be proud of a sports team, although if your team's not doing well, well, still try to hang in there and be proud. I mean, you can be proud about your parents, proud about your grandchildren. You can be proud about what you've done in life. But yet that one good thing can turn into something even essentially evil, because we could put so much emphasis on what we can do, we forget that it's ultimately as Christians what God is doing in our lives. And so understand is even in, a, in an excerpt with Closer Walk in 1991, I want to share something with you. It says, pride is the dandelion of the soul. Its roots grow deep, only a little left behind sprouts again. Its seeds lodge in the tiniest encouraging cracks. 
and it flourishes in good soil. The danger of pride is that it feeds on goodness. I think that sometimes happens to each of us. And as we, we look and we understand about pride, I know some of us might think, wow, how difficult is it to understand what pride is? Well, let me just share a couple of statements with you. Because we have to be humble. We have to be willing to understand that humility is not natural. And with humility, we understand that sometimes we got to grit it out. In fact, I entitled this sermon, Be Humble, You Need Grit to Submit. We need to realize that people are not naturally humble. But sometimes we have to understand that as human beings, it can be natural to have pride. Let me just list to you some of these statements. What does pride say? Well, the first thing it does, it says, I achieved this, not you. We start to pat ourselves on the back and we say, we've done this. Um, I'm better than you. That's another statement which we can allude to as well. Um, If it weren't for me, we wouldn't be here today. How many husbands have been saying that to their wives, or how many wives have been saying that to their husbands? I don't know how many children can say that, because it's often the parents that lead the children. Um, But that can be a statement. Another statement is, she better be grateful I'm her husband, because no one else would put up with her. Now, wow. If you hear that going on, you know that a husband doesn't have that kind of courage to share with his wife, unless he wants a frying pan in the side of his head. But here's the thing, though. We can say these things to ourselves. And remember, God understands and sees that. Another statement here. He better be grateful I'm his wife because no one else would wash those underwear. We need to call the health department. I mean, sometimes we have to understand what the wives do. And even a special day like Mother's Day today, which we just want to say thank you to all you moms, you wonderful moms out there who take care of not only our children, but also take care of us as husbands, that you're out there blessing us with your humility to take care of us. And sometimes... A pride can set in, though, even as, as good as it is when you take care of us. Well, what else does pride say? It could say, this organization could not make it without me. Those are some scary, scary statements. And as we look at chapter 4, as we understand and realize that this is a very long chapter that we have to highlight, Nebuchadnezzar right now, this is about 20 or 30 years after the episode of Daniel chapter 3, with the fiery furnace, with the three Hebrew boys that were thrown into this furnace, should have been killed immediately, and yet they weren't, because Almighty God steps in, a fourth figure was in the fire, a like Christophany, we would call it, or a theophany, and he was present, and then there was nothing that happened to the three Hebrew boys, they came out, in fact, the attendants that threw them in were killed before they were even killed or even considered not even a hair on their head was even burnt it's to understand that God was definitely present in that episode and Nebuchadnezzar was able to see all this that happened he saw one miracle after another from chapter 2 we saw that God intervened interceded and he had Daniel to interpret the only one who can interpret the dream that he had And now we see in chapter 4, he has another dream. But unlike chapter 2, he didn't share it with his wise court, with his magicians and his astrologers, his enchanters. And Daniel wasn't on the court at that time in chapter 2. 
But now Nebuchadnezzar begins to recant on a story about how God allowed him to have another dream. And with that dream, what happened was now he calls on Daniel to interpret it because Daniel's on his court. See, this one man who was a Hebrew slave, a servant, oppressed by the Babylonian people, by the kingdom, by this king, now stands before the king, and the king is requesting for his presence. And now that right there tells you that God's hand is on not only Daniel's life, but now he's on Nebuchadnezzar's life. And God has a plan, because in chapter 2, which we didn't allude to, was the statue and the kingdoms of representation throughout each of the countries and kingdoms that were going to progress throughout the years. Up to the last kingdom with one that was not made with hands. One who would come and stand above all the other kingdoms. And we understand that kingdom is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. God was sovereign and in control. And here, God is showing forth his hand even in this first kingdom, the kingdom that we understand of Nebuchadnezzar as the king and the kingdom of the Babylonian people. And so here we see that it's unfolding. And Nebuchadnezzar is sharing a testimony. He's he's unfolding a story about how he's praising God, but all of that what was happening. And as we look at this particular understanding of this dream, let me just lay out a few statements here that we'll understand and summarize it. Number one is this. The dream was brought to him that there was a tree that grew strong and tall. And the one that grew strong and tall was a representative or representation of Nebuchadnezzar. Another thing is that the leaves are beautiful and the fruit is abundant. So you see that there's a strong, strong, strong tree and then the leaves are beautiful and the fruit is abundant. Then you see underneath that the beasts of the field found shade, protection. So here we have trees and leaves and fruit and the beasts of the field found shade and protection. And finally, the birds lived in the branches. And you know when you're sleeping and in the morning, it's probably around 6 o'clock now, and you hear the birds chirping, you know it's a good morning because you know it's not raining and it's probably going to be a good day and it's going to be sunny. Well, that brought forth order. And lastly, all flesh were fed well. So here's this beautiful part of the dream that Nebuchadnezzar is listening to from Daniel. And Daniel is seeing it, but also Daniel is about to share that interpretation. So now, however, perfect creative order was settled in until pride entered in, leading to chaos. This is what we see now. Because Nebuchadnezzar is going to find out that it's his pride that's stopping him from truly finding order with God. So now we see the tree will be chopped down (laughs) because judgment is coming. Now the branches will be cut off. So they cut off the branches. Then we know the leaves are stripped off and the fruit is scattered. So now no longer do you have branches and sources of life from the tree with good leaves and fruit that's abundant. Now it's scattered and stripped off. And then the beasts of the field flee. From under it, and the birds leave the branches. So what's happened? What was perfect created order turned into chaos because of pride. How often does that happen in our lives? How often does it happen when we see this? 
It's important to get a hold of understanding this. That pride, although can seem good at times, can ruin our lives. That's why I said, you know, that's why when we live in sin, (laughs) created order just turns into chaos. You ever notice that? You ever notice that when um, we get proud and someone doesn't do what we want them to do, we get angry? We even come to a point of fit of rage. We get frustrated because people are not doing what we want to do, and it becomes chaotic. I mean, this is what was happening with Nebuchadnezzar. We saw this so far in the first three chapters. He would get angry. He was angry in chapter 2. He was very angry in chapter 3 and responded and reacted by saying, if you don't follow me, I will put you to death. And so he did. He threw the three Hebrew boys right into the fiery furnace. And here in chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, as he's being told of this particular um, dream, it says this, let his mind be changed, and this is talking about Nebuchadnezzar, from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him. Now that word mind is the same word in chapter 1, verse 8, about heart. That word mind means heart in Hebrew. It's the seat of reason. It's where we find that it's the the premise of a person's emotional state. And God gave Daniel a heart, a resolved heart, and now he's allowing for Nebuchadnezzar's heart and mind to change. Now he's moving from a heart and mind of a man to a heart and mind of an animal. And this was God judging and disciplining Nebuchadnezzar. And so, in other words, his psychological mental awareness will not be reasonable anymore. I mean, he's going to lose his mind. Because when he became so consumed with pride and power and prestige, this ultimately led a person to believe that his word was the final word that he was not accountable to God, that he wasn't accountable to the God of heaven. All these episodes that he saw of God's hand working supernaturally, I mean, you saw that God was the one who was sovereign in control, and yet he would not submit. And so God had to say, I've got to deal with this and judge this man. But he wasn't giving up on him, because too often we think when God has to deal with us that he's going to give up on us. He may humble us, but he's not going to get rid of us. (laughs) Remember that just because you and I can be proud sometimes and we can fall into sin, doesn't mean God's done with us. When he humbles us, he's actually ministering grace to us and leading us. And so it's important for us to gather because in verse 17 we see this. He goes, the sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones. Meaning, you know what, Nebuchadnezzar, you've been making all these decrees on earth as the king, but let me now bring a decree on you from heaven. (laughs) I am God, I am sovereign, I am in control, and you now need to bow down to me. And so God brings forth a decree. And he says, to the end of the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills and sets it over to the lowliest of men. See, Daniel knew this. Daniel saw it in chapter 2. 
He said God can set kingdoms and remove kingdoms. He can change seasons at any time. You know, many of us today right now, we've had a gritty week, <laughs> a very challenging week. Many in our fold, many in our body are struggling this week. Things that are out of their control. We have a woman who's in the hospital who thought she was going to have an outpatient surgery and come out a day later. She's been in all week, not sure as to what was happening. We have one of our elders where his son was involved in a motorcycle accident, and he and his wife had to go out to the state of Washington to be with his son. And there we're praying and asking God to intercede on just two of these cases. But we have many. As Matt was praying, generally for everyone. And then all of a sudden we had a situation this week where COVID came in our church. Just, just some. And we had to deal with that for a couple of days. But God has his hand on each one of them. And they're slowly healing. And we can report to you that God's doing that. But God is in control. And we understand that. But when seasons come and seasons go and things are difficult, God is still saying, I'm in control. I've got this. Because sometimes being proud, we can make statements like, I told you I was right. <laughs> you never listened to me. How come you don't listen to me? This person doesn't do it right. <laughs> We have these statements and we think that we're in control, but just something offline and God could slowly but assuredly tell us that we're not in control. Circumstances can get chaotic. And we have to realize that only God can be the one who could set things in standard. So we want to be a people who embrace humility. We want to be a people who learn to be humble. And in this story, we recognize that God is humbling Nebuchadnezzar. So I just have a couple of things here, just a couple that we're going to share with you. Um, actually, four points here very quickly. We're going to look at chapter 4, verses 24, and going through the final part of the chapter. And where does humility lead us when we're proud? If we really do want to be a people who are humble, how do we do that? Well, number one, we have to acknowledge sin. That's just really clear to us. We have to acknowledge sin. Daniel is sharing the interpretation. He's about to share it with Nebuchadnezzar. Now, let's just remember, he is a servant. He's oppressed. He was deported from the Israel. They took over they overtake, they take Israel, come, they come into a new land, a new foreign people, they sit before a king, a people, a eunuch, Ashpenash, and they have to answer. And here God gives grace to Daniel to speak in every episode. Even, even in chapter 2, he speaks to the jailer who's there. And he's got that graced opening where God allows him to speak. He's resilient. He's a transformer. He's moving forward. And now, here is a servant who actually becomes the prophet. And he speaks with boldness to the king of Babylon, the most powerful man at that time. And here God opens the door, and here we see that he speaks to him very clearly. He said, this is the interpretation, O God. Is it not? This is, O king, is it a decree? It is a decree from the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven among men, 
and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. Wow, really great word. Thanks, Daniel. I really appreciate everything you're sharing with me. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the most high God rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And it was as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree. Your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. First of all, here's this lowly servant telling the king all this great news, right? He's telling him everything that's going to happen to him. Yeah, dude, guess what's going to happen to you, king? Uh, You're going to lose your mind. You're going to become insane. You're going to get on your fours. You're going to eat grass. You're going to be like an animal. You're going to be like a wolf, man. And guess what, dude? I'm going to tell you something. Your your fingernails are going to become like bird claws. (laughs) And you're going to look like a kind of werewolfy. And, uh, and you're, that's, that's, that's a good word for you, King. And here, Daniel truly was having a relationship, a, a decent relationship with Nebuchadnezzar that Nebuchadnezzar would even want him in his presence. But here's God in his graciousness. God is gracious to consider leading a fool to repentance. <laughs> because these foreign kings did not believe that God existed. Psalm 14.1 says that a fool is one who doesn't believe that God exists, that there's no God. Here, God was gracious enough to allow Nebuchadnezzar to see his hand, to be patient, to allow him to work, even humble him to a place where he would become insane. Now, most would say he's written off. He's insane. There's no hope for this man. God, you might as well kill him off and get to the next kingdom. God's saying, no, he's part of my plan still. He's still part of my plan. In fact, I love what Warren Wormsby says. He says, men and women are made in the image of God, but when they leave God out of their lives and resist his will, they can descend to the level of animals. Wow. Here he was. He was being descended to a level of an animal because of his pride. How many of us could just be proud just enough to take us away from his God-perfect order into chaos? How often are marriages chaotic because one of the spouses is just too proud to admit that he or she is wrong? Can't admit it. Can't say I'm sorry. Can't say I was wrong. Has to keep defending. You know, I read an article from Desiring God about the seven subtleties of pride. And Jonathan Edwards, one of the greats, shared one of those seven things that are subtle is defensiveness. Do you know in our marriages today, we become more defensive than willing to humble ourselves and saying, I was wrong. Because for a man, it's most difficult. Because we're, we want to be problem solvers. We want to be powerful. We want to say, hey, let me be the man in this home. And I catch myself too, being a man who's proud, a man who wants to lead, and is almost so frustrated I have to raise my voice and say, let me be a man. But I fail. Because sometimes I just am proud. And God continues to lovingly humble me. How about you? Have you ever felt that way? You ever felt like, God, you're done with me. I'm too proud. Because this story tells you, you're not too far to reach for God. God wants to reach you. Because when he humbles you, he doesn't want to get rid of you. He just wants to love on you. 
Isn't that great to know that when he disciplines us, the Bible says that he loves us. And it's so awesome to know that we have to acknowledge that we're sinners. We have to acknowledge that we have sin in our lives. The greatest place to be is to at least acknowledge it. That's the first step. But I think the second step is, I think we have to abandon it. It's easy to acknowledge sin, but it's more difficult to abandon it. And Daniel had to come to a place where he had to abandon it. He had to say, you know what, I, I, I've got to come to the, he's got to come to that place. Nebuchadnezzar has to abandon his sin. So here he goes. He shares it with great boldness. He goes, therefore, O king, let my counsel, my advice. Now, wait a minute. You're not supposed to be giving advice to the king. You're just supposed to interpret dreams. Why are you giving advice to the king? Because God gave him the boldness to speak as a prophet. Now he's a prophet. He was an interpreter of dreams, but now he's stepping into, he's putting on the prophet hat. And he's saying, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Well, I don't know. Am I going to accept it? If Nebuchadnezzar would say, I don't know, Daniel. Well, too bad. You got to accept it. Here we go, king. <laughs> you got to break off your sins. You got to denounce your sin. You've got to stop living in this pride. You've got to stop trying to be right. You've got to stop being harsh in your statements. You've got to stop trying to find fault in others. You've got to stop trying to be a domineering, tyranny kind of king. You've got to break from your sin. Here was a very bold man like Daniel. But it took a lot of grit, and I'm going to share this with you, for Nebuchadnezzar to submit. Because he, he's not giving up. He's sharing the story. And here he had to break off his sins. So he's listening to him. And then Daniel goes, by practicing righteousness, by doing what is right. This is not about salvation. This isn't a salvation message. This isn't an atonement that he's offering to him. He's just simply saying you have to denounce your sin and practice which righteousness. And he says, for your iniquities, by showing mercy. How? To the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So he's offering him hope, counsel, and advice. But does he take it right away? No. He's listening, but he's not receiving it. We see right away Nebuchadnezzar's not. Well, we're going to find out in just a moment. But I love what Proverbs says this. It says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. He just wasn't wise yet. He was still a fool. And the reason why he was still a fool and God was still gracious because God is patient and he is gracious and he's slow to anger and quick to loving kindness. He's loyal in his love because he will carry out his plan. You know, this is part of his plan. Do you know that sometimes God allows us to live in sin because he has a plan? And when he has a plan, he's ready to humble us and he's ready to discipline us. And then through it, when we go through it, when we're struggling and we see God's hand in our lives through the journey, that's when God is at work and then we can testify what he's done in our lives. God is not looking for perfect righteousness in our lives. He's looking for a people who will submit and surrender to him. He's not looking for a people who wants to do everything right. And as I love you and I have a plan for you. And we see it unfolding. And it's beautiful because then he goes, stop putting so much attention on yourself and do good for others. How often today, the Christian, we're struggling because we're so focused on ourselves that we forget to think about others. Do you know, even though it's important for us to take care of our children, take care of our marriages, take care of our wives, sometimes I think we just struggle with thinking about others because we're so consumed with our own world. 
As Christians, we can do that. God is telling us we need to do good. Now, I got something to share with you, and, and I don't share this to be proud. I don't share this to, to say, I got this and you don't. But how, how many people today are ranting and raving about injustices that are occurring in our present society, specifically about our nation? They have had seen so many episodes of injustice against all types of people. There's racial injustice, bullying, abortion, physical and sexual abuse, and marital abuse. Many have spoken strongly against these things. However, I ask the question, to each of us with great humility, because <laughs> I'm going to be careful, to the ones who have spoken, or to the ones who choose to ignore it, what are you doing about it? I mean, what are you doing about it? It's easy to rant and rave, but what God is telling through Daniel to say to Nebuchadnezzar, you need to do good, mercy. You got to do something about it. Don't just talk about it. Do something about it. You often see that many people are ranting and raving and talking about it are doing nothing about it. When are we going to realize that God's calling us to do mercy? Not just talk about mercy. Now I'm a little bit passionate right now because Isaiah 117, it says, learn to do good. Seek justice. These are active words, active verbs. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Don't just talk about it. Do something about it. Because often the people who are not ran and raven are the ones doing something about it. They're doing it humbly. Sometimes when we talk about it, we get proud because we think by talking about it, we're doing something about it, and we're not. <laughs> we're just talking about it. I got something to talk about. You know, we could talk about it, but we got to do something about it. Number three, humility will lead us to be accountable for sin. It will lead us to be accountable for sin. Let me share this with you in chapter 4, verse 29, as we continue this narrative. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. I mean, he saw the great wonders. Nebuchadnezzar was a builder. He made Babylon to look enormously great. There is a, a years in his time, there was the hanging gardens on a mountain, which he did for his wife, one of the seven wonders of the world of that time, with palm trees, and like he created a mountain in Babylon so that his wife, who came from that type of area, would be able to bask in the glory, and he would be in good, uh, in good standing with his wife by doing this. He created and erected so many cool buildings all around the city and he's walking but it's 12 months later he's accountable god is patient he's allowing nebuchadnezzar 12 months he's walking through but he's still accountable after 12 months it's not as though he could just walk away from the sin in which he's living in and here he hears this interpretation kind of walks away doesn't want to hear it anymore just kind of ignores it doesn't take counsel too well because still the fool and here it says, and the king even went so deeper as to say, and the king answered and said, is this not great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal resident? 
And for my glory, for the glory of my majesty? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? That he starts to be proud and he's arrogant and he's boasting for everything that he's done. But here's the problem. Just as he spoke, a word from heaven came down and said, judgment is about to happen. And this is what it says in verse 33. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men, ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Wow. He was accountable. We're all accountable. That's what keeps us humble. Here is this king who thought, I don't have to answer to anyone. I'm the king. Have you and I ever said that when we walk around? I don't have to answer anybody. I'm not accountable to anyone. I can do whatever I want to do. That's when chaos happens. We have heard, and I will not share the names of many prominent leaders in the past three or four years. Sadly, what had happened was this concept, this truth. They started to believe they weren't accountable. And what was a great ministry for 30, 40 years turned into a terrible story that ended their ministry. In fact, one of those people that I'm thinking about right now that I won't share has already went on to glory. But we found out news about this prominent leader that he was not accountable. He didn't even really have an apologist who was not accountable. He didn't really have a local church to be accounted to. Even one of the prominent pastors out there said that was his issue, that he wasn't accountable to that local church. Every one of us are accountable. We're accountable to God. We're accountable to a leadership. We have a pastoral team here, and I'm accountable to the pastoral team. But I'm accountable to you because you're my brothers and sisters. And there's one thing I don't ever want to be is a, a hypocrite. We are all called and accountable for our sin. And if we fail, we start by confessing it. He didn't want to be accountable. And God said, I will hold you accountable. That's the beauty of humility. God won't get rid of us. He wants to humble us for a purpose. It takes a lot of grit to be humble. It takes a lot of grit because it's natural to be proud. It's difficult to be humble. I'll tell you, it's a challenge. It was a confirmation very clearly stated to him. I love what a uh, commentary said. One of, uh, one of our uh, leading prominent commentaries said, how ironic that the king who felt himself superior to other men how now sunk to a sub-level human. So many are accountable and so many don't want to be. Our hope is that if you really truly understand that we need grit to submit, God has called us to have that gritty nature to submit. Lastly this, you know, God is holding us accountable when we align with him. When we align with him. And when we align with God, 
I'll tell you, that's the beauty of it. When we align with God, God is at work. And I think that one of the key components is when we align with God, God is bringing us forth. And how do we align with God? We simply confess our sin and we come to humble ourselves before him. This is the beauty of Nebuchadnezzar. Seven years, he becomes a sub-level human. He becomes an animal-like, insane person. But God wasn't done with him. In fact, scholars believe his son has stepped in to take over the kingdom for the seven years, and he never knew if he was going to be totally restored. Daniel knew it because God made the promise. But he was in a, in a period and season where he was insane. And here we see in Daniel chapter 4, 34 through 36, it says this, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes up to heaven, and my reason returned to me. Let me just share this with you. Lifting his eyes up to heaven. This is what he was doing. He said, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to surrender to the true king of kings and the Lord of lords and the God of, 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 this, of this earth and the creator. I'm going to surrender myself to Yahweh, who is God, self-existing God. I'm going to return to the created order, to the one in whom I'm the created, he's the creator. I am not this tyranny that I don't have to answer anyone. I must only answer to God. All of a sudden now, his reason returns to him. Do you understand that the word reason is his mind and his heart is returned. He's back in order. What was once chaos is now back to order. And I'm going to tell you something. What brings everything back to order is when we confess our sin and admit that we need help. That's when we, when we align ourselves with God. So when we're off alignment is when we start getting proud, when we're living in sin, when we resist, when we don't want to give in to God. And God is saying, just align yourself and look to me. How often today with Christians, why do we get off? Why do we find ourselves going from back and forth? It's because we take our eyes off of Jesus. We take our eyes off the word of God we take eyes, we don't pray, we don't seek God, we get caught up in our own worlds, we get into gossip, we get into the story. Do you know that when you and I, when we gossip, we keep the story alive in our lives? <laughs> we keep our sin going. But do you know that when we confess it and make it a commitment to say, enough's enough, I'm going to confess my sin and my pride, and I'm not going to talk about this story anymore. Do you know that the story's behind us? And it becomes a testimony rather than a gossip session. Do you know that sometimes I think we get around Christians because we feel good when we just vent and we share and we feel good when, and it does, it feels good. I'm going to be honest, it feels good to be proud once in a while. But it doesn't advance the kingdom. It only advances our kingdom, my kingdom. But God is teaching us that through this, that all we have to do is submit and it takes grit to submit. It takes time for God to break us. It takes many circumstances and situations. We've gone through 13, 14, 15 months of COVID, and we're still asking the question, why are you allowing this to happen? Should we still ask that question? Or should, should we say, God, what are you teaching me in, the, in these last 14 months? What do you want to do with me? How do you want to change me? Who do you want me to minister to? God, how do you want to change my character? God, how do you want me to become more like Jesus? Lord, how is it? Change me, break me, me make me more like you. I've had some people say to me, 
I've prayed that dangerous prayer and I don't think I'm going to pray it anymore because my life has been chaotic. It's been crazy. The circumstances have been overwhelming. But I will tell you something. Even though each one of us are going through that, God is conforming us to the image of His Son. We are becoming more like Him. He's aligning us back to Him. And you know what? We'd be too proud to think that we have it all together when we don't. So we have to decide just like Nebuchadnezzar. God is working on us. And God is using this to restore not only Nebuchadnezzar and his character, but he's restoring also his kingdom, which blows my mind. Because we see as he brings glory and honor to God, he worships God, he gives God his recognition, he gives him to be on the throne while he doesn't sit on the throne anymore. He says, who can you say? No one can say to God, what have you done? Because he's in control. He's sovereign. But then he goes on in verse 36, he says, at the same time, my reason has returned to me and for my glory and my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Wow. So here, he looked to the Lord. He looked to heaven. See, I think sometimes we're struggling. When we don't look to heaven, when we don't look to Jesus, we don't look to his words, we start comparing ourselves to others. D.L. Moody says this, out of 100 men, one will read the Bible and the other 99 will read the Christian. That's gossip. We're comparing ourselves. We're envious and we're jealous and we're prideful. God's saying, it's time to submit. I know God's saying it takes a lot of grit to submit, but it's time for us to be humble. Because I'm going to tell you something. This is so true to this story, to what even he is saying. When you and I decrease our kingdoms, you will increase in God's kingdom. I mean, that's the beauty of it. So when we decrease in our kingdom, God will increase us in his kingdom. Look at salvation. Look what he's done for us. He's did it all. He's done it all. He did it all. He continues to do it in sanctification. He will do it in glorification. It's God's work in us. And even Nebuchadnezzar, who's the most proud individual that ever lived on that earth at that time, this is his statement. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. If he can humble Nebuchadnezzar, he can humble you and I. God will use any circumstance, any situation, any difficulty, any trial to get us back to submit to him. Remember, when he humbles us, he's not getting rid of us. He's got a plan. With Nebuchadnezzar, God fulfilled his plan. Because after Nebuchadnezzar, after the Babylonian kingdom, started another kingdom until we see the final kingdom in the book of Revelation where God will reign and we will, and we will live and reign with him. We will live and reign and be his servants, worshiping and praising him all forever in eternity. So what's your story? What's your pride? What's your difficulty? What's stopping you from knowing God? I want to challenge you today. Decrease in your kingdom. Increase in God's kingdom. I know it takes grit to submit, but be humble. Maybe you're going through a time where you think you're right in your marriage. You think you're right with your child. You think you're right at work. First step we need to do 
is surrender and submit. Let's pray. Father, today, I pray that we would understand that it does take so much grit to submit, to lead us to humility. Lord, please, the first step, I pray that you would help us to acknowledge sin in our lives, open our eyes to see, and then be willing to abandon it, to do good, so we don't think about ourselves, and realize we're accountable for our sin, and help us to be aligned with you. Thank you for Nebuchadnezzar. Thank you that he was willing to finally submit to you. And even though it took over seven years, God, you used it. Where today we see the testimony that he came to faith in the God of Israel. He surrendered his life to you. You took a stubborn, prideful man and humbled him. I pray that we would see the need to do that. That we won't give up. That even if we feel like we should give up, we won't give up. So God, continue to teach us, even through this series, that we need grit to submit, that we need grit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Guys, before we leave today, I want to say thank you for joining us. Real quick, just a quick statement, and I'll let you guys go. All activities, all church activities this week, in light of what's happened, will be canceled. So I just want to let you know, that means student ministry on Wednesday night and any other event going throughout the week. We're going to take some time off for one week. And as Matt stated earlier, we hope to be back on Sunday. We believe everyone who has had COVID is now being taken care of. They're healing quickly. So we are excited to get back together on Sunday. We hope that by coming together, we'll be able to celebrate Mother's Day. But to all of you out there, happy Mother's Day. God bless you. And we will hopefully see you in person next week and on Facebook Live. God bless you.